My name is Ted Burns, and I'm Senior Director of Political Affairs and RADPAT for the American College of Radiology Association, and I want to welcome you to our Radvocacy podcast hosted by RADPAT. Our goal with the podcast is to give you a behind-the-scenes look into the various advocacy efforts of the college, our members, and insights from political influencers here in Washington, D.C. I'm honored to have as our guest radiologist today for our podcast, Dr. Valeria Makiva. Uh, she is a radiologist that is going to be moving down to Texas, and we'll have her get into her background to start off this episode. First, tell us, uh, if you would, about your radiology training, uh, your background, and then where you'll be practicing in your subspecialty, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So I started out at Emory in Atlanta, where I did a diagnostics radiology residency, and there, I was also part of a funded informatics track. So that just means, you know, learning how the tech back end of radiology works. And then after that, I secured a spot at UAB for a combined fellowship in neuroradiology and informatics. Then since graduating fellowship, I joined the Radiology Associates of North Texas, RANT, uh, where I wear the hats of a clinical neuroradiologist and also the medical director of clinical digital optimization. And to tell you a little bit about RANT, it's a powerhouse. It's one of the largest cohorts of radiologists in the country, 300 plus rads. And it also has a significant footprint in strategic radiology, which is a coalition working on sustainability in local, independent, private radiology practice. And in my role, I get to nerd out over all the boring stuff like <laughs> process design and systems level problem solving. I'm talking... IT governance, structure and formula development, testing use cases, neuro work list optimization, that kind of stuff. And for our group, there's three of us who bridge that medical IT divide, and we whimsically refer to ourselves as the three ninjas. So alongside <laughs> Dr. Galante, who helms informatics overall, and Dr. Prater, who spearheads the data science and analytics side, we like to, well, push the boundaries in the radiology IT space. And that's great. And you guys are one of the only practices, if not the only one that does that. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. But I will also add that strategic radiology, we're one of the biggest. Strategic radiology is a coalition of, I want to say, 34 practices. Okay. Um, so you are actually here in D.C. this week. And, um, you know, we've had the pleasure of having you uh, shadow us and, and, and run around the hill with us. Um, you're doing this as part of your role with the Georgia Radiological Society, uh, Dan Hanks Fellowship. So th that fellowship basically is the state chapter version of the ACR's Rutherford Levanti Fellowship, um, which is focused on, you know, giving an opportunity for someone in training to kind of see how things work in D.C. or how things, as we know this week, don't work in D.C. as we're recording this and we're trying to figure out if there's going to be a speaker of the house. And so um, tell me what was your interest in this fellowship? Obviously your, your plate's extremely full right now as it is, but when you, when you first started looking at this opportunity, what kind of stood out to you? Like that's something I think I really want to have an, an interest in doing. That's a great question. First, and most importantly, I would like to give a shout out to the Georgia Radiological Society, GRA, whose great 
excellent program. It just empowers radiologists like myself to get to the heart of national advocacy with the ACR. And that is a rare opportunity. So thank you for that opportunity. I'm truly grateful. But to answer your question, my interest stemmed from the belief that visibility really influences the perceived value that imaging brings to patient care. That's huge. I did a healthcare management fellowship while I was a medical student. It was an integrated program. And back in 2016, I was applying for residency and being the burgeoning advocate that I am, I drafted an outline. I mean, this is this is how, how this is just how I was. I got into the weeds. So I drafted this outline of what, in my mind, were the top radiology challenges for 2017 and how I'd respond. And it was all about the invisible radiologist with implications for macra and physician compare and bundled payments. I actually brought this outline to my Emory interview and shared it with the program director (laughs) because I wanted to understand if Emory's program was right there with me. And guess what? Those are the same issues we're dealing with today payment reform, addressing the lack of inflationary update in the physician fee schedule while the cost of running a business keeps going up, reimbursement goes down, and then macro reform. And those issues are just as relevant today as they were seven years ago. Now, you know I have a background in informatics. In radiology, informatics is that hidden driver behind our clinical excellence, but advocacy is the hidden driver that really amplifies our professional voice. They're two sides of the same coin. And it's how we get both individual practice and collective advancement in the field. Yeah, I I mean, 100%. And that's a a really cool perspective that you had so early in your career and that you, as you have gone through your training, probably see it really being not just uh, an assumption, but a reality. The fact that- Yeah, absolutely. The fact that the issues that you kind of stated as priorities and concerns back then, 2016, 2017, that are still very much the case now. I don't know if that's job security for me. I don't know what that means in the sense that it still exists. And and again, we'll talk a little bit more about this um, later in the podcast with your experience this week. Um, But yeah, I mean, the SGR, I mean, that was an issue for several, several years. And we're still kind of where we were then, you know, year to year, mini fixes, uh, with no level of stability or certainty. Um, well, so I guess leading up to this week that um, you've had here in DC, let's say you're getting ready to to fly up here. Did you have any kind of assumptions like, okay, is it really as messed up in DC as it sounds and that it looks like on TV? Or what, did you have any other kind of like preconceived notions on what to expect as you're beginning your your trip up here? That's a good question. So I assumed that on Capitol Hill, it's all about seizing opportunities. It's about smart engagements and collaboration, you know, in between beating each other up bar fight style. (laughs) (laughs) And some of that has actually played out to be the case, Other, other parts of it less so. Well, and I'll tell you, and it's funny because, um, well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, like, sway you into an answer here because for this next question. But, you know, it, it's just one of the assumptions that a lot of folks have is, like, it's just Democrats beating up Republicans, Republicans beating up Democrats. 
you tell me if you've seen this in your experience, but I mean, you were right next to me, so you're, you're supposed to say yes, because this is what I saw, <laughs> is that you have Republicans beating up Republicans. It's not even like, it's not even one party versus the other. It's like intra-family war here. Um, so, so you had these assumptions coming up. And as this week has gone along, um, and you've sat through fundraising events with Rad Pack, you've gone to congressional meetings, you've sat on numerous uh, conference calls, uh, you know, as far as uh, conversations with other healthcare entities and stakeholder groups and things of that nature. It, how, how has your kind of assumptions or kind of judgments about what it would be like changed, if at all, um, and, and kind of what you've experienced and, and seen firsthand? That's also a great question. I'll start with the similarities and then I'll talk a little bit about some of the differences and I'll, I'll use examples. So okay. during a visit to the Rayburn house, I saw, you know, ACR y'all's government affairs director, Ashley Walton saw her mm -hmm. in action and Ted, you've been to this building, right? I mean, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's huge. Yep. This place is the biggest building on the Hill for House of Representative offices. It's all hard white marble, mm -hmm. wide hallways. Ashley and I were there to visit an administrative aide for one of the congressmen, and it was fast-paced dialogue. In 10 minutes flat, Ashley navigated three, so one, two, three critical issues. This is just agility. She covered physician payment reform, PAMA, the radiology manpower crisis. This was just advocacy masterclass. And it shed light on something I, I knew and I assumed coming in, that legislation is shaped not just in these official settings, but in informal discussions, you know, over breakfast, in staircases, or, you know, less formal venues, which really underpins the importance of communication and persistence in advocacy and what you guys do every day. I can also say that things are quite different from what I initially assumed, particularly in how, for example, CMS perceives physicians as somewhat a homogeneous group. Though I had some inkling of this, this the one-size-fits-all approach was more pronounced than I had assumed originally, and it, it just doesn't align with the nuanced workflows in radiology. And radiology is hard to understand for somebody who doesn't, you know, who hasn't seen a radiologist in action, which is hard to do. But it, it makes frameworks like MACRA, which you mentioned earlier, you know, they replaced the SGR, it's just bad at evaluating our specialty. And each medical field has its distinct rhythm, and it needs to be recognized before it can be assessed accurately. So this shortage of quality measures for radiology is a big concern of mine. I mean, it's like, imagine just evaluating a student, you know, or a class on a subject without a rubric. So how do you gauge performance? So then from your experience this week, what would you say were some eye-opening things, um, maybe about the Hill in general, process on the Hill, interactions with folks on the Hill? And just vibe on the hill, the, the the kind of the the feel on the hill, and then more specifically, maybe within the physician community and and with mm -hmm. the ACR and and our imaging issues that we are pushing, kind of your observations from that perspective. Oh, there's a lot of energy on the hill this week, especially this week. One of the most eye-opening experiences for me was attending an early morning breakfast with you, Ted. And that mm -hmm. was with Congressman Tom Cole, who yeah. was a key figure on the House Rules Committee. Yep. You, you know that. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll get into why this was eye-opening in a minute, but I'll set the stage first for okay. our listeners. 
Breakfast was an event hosted by the American Family Physicians that provided a close-up view of the legislative process, especially related to medical practice and policy. It was a fundraiser, common here in D.C., but Ted, have you ever been to Dragon Con? No, don't even know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Dragon Con is an event once a year in Atlanta, and people dress up in costume as some of their favorite characters. This breakfast was as interesting to me as watching a life-sized fire-breathing dragon stroll past you at Dragon Con for the first time, which I've actually seen. Okay. Now, (laughs) fundraisers come in two flavors, as you explained to me. You know, there's the open invitation cattle calls or small, you know, intimate gatherings with reps from groups or coalitions that have shared interests. It's a format that allows what I'm going to call cost-effective engagement. Mm -hmm. with the congressmen while pooling resources. So we're seated at a 15-person table, and the same issue was on everyone's agenda. I'm talking family medicine, anesthesia, dentistry, radiology. And that was the physician fee schedule. To provide a background for folks listening in, since December 2020, Congress has adjusted the Medicare physician fee schedule yearly to avert mandatory reductions adding extra percentages to the conversion factor in 2023 and 2024 and halting a 4% Medicare payment reduction for these years. But this keeps happening in part because there's no inflationary update based on the Medicare economic index. This is one of the only schedules without an update. The other one is clinical laboratory fee schedule. I actually learned that this week about which Mm -hmm. one was the other one. Now, this creates financial hurdles for physicians, especially as the cost of running a practice has gone up. And I'm not talking 1%, 2% increases. I'm talking over two decades, Medicare physician pay has increased by 11%, while operational costs have gone up by 39%. And that's American Medical Association data. So here's the why part of why this was eye-opening. A key insight for me was that Congress members truly rely on a well-structured flow of information to make decisions. It's like a coordinated, well-choreographed dance. They actively listen with staff organized by issue areas to manage the workload. Staffers depend on our reps to highlight the crucial aspects of issues, since not all of them need a deep understanding of every detail. You need to know when to go high, when to go low. And then there's the second pillar, hearing from constituents. You know, how important are these issues really? So that's the second pillar of their information network. It's all very logical but you need to know where the choreography has you stepping, if you will, to create that magic wow that something beautiful can be achieved. And those are meaningful reforms. Yeah, and you know, the thing that was also very interesting about the Congressman Cole breakfast specifically was he really lets his guard down and kind of gave you a behind the scenes look at the interactions that he has with his colleagues and he's talking and i don't think he would get upset by you know if he happened to listen to this podcast let's say probably not likely but you know i mean he's talking about you know i really like this member of congress because he'll come in and have a cigar with me and we'll talk about this and it, it kind of really showed you 
as critical as the relationships are for us to have with congressional staff and chief of staff and fundraisers and the members of Congress themselves, the relationships that they have with each other are so important. You know, it, we've talked a lot about there's 535 members of Congress. They're all like their own little small business, basically. Right. Yeah. The Senate, they're kind of like bigger than a small business, but they all run their office very uniquely catered to their geography and their constituents and their their political leanings and all these types of things and so i you know even though i've been doing this 20 plus years you know sometimes when you have a member who's just so candid and so comfortable i felt like he was very comfortable talking with us about a lot of these things it it was very interesting now this was also kind of in the context of us talking about this whole debacle of not having a speaker and what's going to happen and he's chair of the rules committee so he's playing a pretty important role in that process um the one thing and i don't know if he caught this when we were listening to him talk and he talked a lot uh during that breakfast was um how much he said he relies on the physician members of congress when they come to him and say hey Tom, this is, you know, this is a really important bill for our docs. When I was practicing, this was something that I would have been really upset about or really worried about or concerned about. And this is a good bill. And I've, I've got a bipartisan colleague of mine from the other side of the aisle who's also interested in this issue. We've come together. And, and the one thing that he said to us, and, and this is so commonsensical, but it's, it's, I don't know, easy to overlook, I guess, is he said, the first thing I ask when someone comes to our office about a bill that they want us to consider supporting, sponsoring, whatever it may be, who's the author of the bill? Which member of Congress introduced the bill? And he said, right then, I pretty much kind of know if it's a serious legislator and this is a serious bill, or maybe this is kind of like a gimmick type of thing, or maybe this is like a messaging bill. It's not like a sincere bill. And and again, having done this a long time, you, you kind of just I don't know, you, you just kind of get so used to that, that you, you, sometimes you hear it and you take a step back and say, oh, yeah, that really is important. And, you know, we're very fortunate with the inflationary bill that we're talking about uh, with Bouchon, Larry Bouchon from Indiana, who's a retired physician, member of Congress Republican, and Raul Ruiz, a retired physician who's a Democrat. You have two very serious legislators. They're on the same committee together, Energy and Commerce. It has jurisdiction on the issue. And they're working in a bipartisan fashion to try to get this done. That gave Congressman Cole a lot more uh, credibility when he was talking as far as how he how he perceived that bill. Um, he said that he just gave a lot more credibility in his mind that this is an issue that's really worth him paying attention to. Now, whether he moves the needle or not, that's a separate issue. Um, but I, I just thought that was a really good point, the way he discussed it. Um, and I don't know if that caught your attention as well, or if there's anything else that he was talking about that, um, or even the other, you know, we had a, a very different type of fundraising event this morning and, and how that might be different. Yeah, I mean, there are different ways of filtering information because these offices get bombarded with information from different sides, you know, from different representatives. And it's really hard to filter what is meaningful what is important. And one of the ways to filter that, as you pointed out, is what, who is the source of this information? Who is the author of the bill? What is their background? What's their credibility? Do I have experience working with them from prior engagements? You know, what are they like? And 
it really plays into the decision making process. It's that that process has been fascinating to me. It's uh, it's one of the ways that I saw that was actually similar rather than different between this morning and yesterday's fundraising events. Uh, in that I saw that both congressmen responded and relied on information in a similar way. Mm-hmm. And I, I also felt that as the only doctor in the room, so in both rooms, only physician, and that gave me a certain credibility in their eyes when it came to talking about those issues. 100%. 100%. And I think they wanted to hear it, you know, from the actual source of people who you know, one of someone who's actually doing this day to day and feeling it again versus just a, a lobbyist kind of reciting bullet points and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I thought the one this morning was very good with Congressman Doggett. He was very sincere about you know a variety of different healthcare issues, and and I think both of them, you know, one Republican, one Democrat, they both express an interest to work across the aisle. You know, there again, there's this perception like, oh. Democrats hate Republicans and Republicans hate Democrats, but yeah, I think that's great for TV. But I, I think at, at the root, these these members of Congress, for the most part, not all 535, but the good majority of them are really here to make a genuine difference. And they're they're trying really hard. It's just sometimes that very small minority of, of folks who are in Congress who maybe don't share those same uh, goals really can just muck up the whole process. And I think that's the other thing, um, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but just the level of frustration you can feel and sense from the members of Congress about what's happening. We have so many big issues and we're stuck dealing with this. You know, and I think there's a, a lot of um, truth to that, you know, and I, I think we're certainly, the lobbyists are certainly frustrated with it, but I think the members of Congress are too. I don't know if you saw yeah. that or felt that. Yeah, you yeah, know, I, I did. I did. I mean, I, I one of the congressmen, I think from this morning, actually just said, you know, it, our legal system, the way that the way that we function is very bad at handling serious legislation. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> things yeah. move at a slow pace. And to your point, I'm sure there's a lot of frustration at things that have been around. Even I made this point. Things have been around since I was. A medical student. You know, now I'm a practicing neuroradiologist. So that just speaks to the length of time that it has taken. And there is a certain degree of fatigue, you know, when yeah. it comes to solving some of these big issues. But I do think we are making some headway. I don't think there's been zero movement. Uh, it's just slower than you would expect. Yeah. And, and you and I have had a lot of side conversations about a lot of the reasons why it may be taking mm-hmm. so long. Obviously, the cost of some of these policies is not insignificant. Um, and then just finding the consensus on the Hill, along with consensus within all the other physician groups to make sure that everyone really shares the same opinion. That's not easy to do. Um, well, any other thoughts that you had about your um, experience? Obviously, in addition to doing the stuff on the Hill, you had interactions with uh, other members of our government relations team, folks who work on you know AI issues and kind of the regulatory alphabet soup. Uh, you know, uh, people who deal with state legislation, Eugenia and Dylan. And so I didn't know if there's any other kind of closing observations or or, or things that stood out during your uh, interactions with those members of our team or, or things that we're working on. The things that stood out to me the most was how well we functioned as a cohesive unit. 
It was clear that everyone at the ACR, on our rep- all of our representatives, had communicated extensively you know, with each other, had thought about these issues on their own, had sought feedback from physicians, from non-physicians. We have, you know, contracted studies, data. I felt like, for example, you know, I, I felt that our, you know, our team could recite these issues and the data behind them in their sleep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which means yeah. that you Which have is... been living with them forever. Yeah. And, and sometimes, quite honestly, we can almost do the other the other physician groups issues, too, because we hear them, you know, five, six times a week at different fundraising events every single week. We all say the same thing. It's like, OK, well, you know, this physician group is going to talk about this issue and this physician group is going to talk about that issue. And they kind of always beat their, their drum. And so, yeah, um, I think we have pretty good. Uh, collaboration internally. I mean, there's always ways to improve, certainly. Um, But I think overall, um, it works really well. And the reason why it works really well is we've had a lot of continuity with our staff and our team. We've had uh, so many of us who have been there 10 plus years, even 15 plus years. So there's a really good ebb and flow that we've kind of created and we kind of know how to, you know, we have subject matter experts on certain things and that's, you know, kind of their thing. And you know, whereas I do more of the political and that's a very different type of thing. And I don't know, we'll we'll end on this question. um, And it's not something that you and I have really talked about during our interactions this week, but so you've kind of seen that the the political and then the the policy are are different, yet obviously they also overlap. I don't know kind of what your thought is on that. Like you see, we go to a couple of fundraising events, we're talking policy, but then you also kind of see how we're talking about, you know, the, the need to have a good attendance at a fundraising event, the need to make sure that you're having relationships when we're at the Capitol Hill Club earlier today. You know, we're, we're seeing all kinds of different members of Congress walking around and, and trying to, oh, this member of Congress cares about this, and this member of Congress is friends with this member of Congress, and just kind of that, the political relationship part of it. I didn't know if you had any unique observations about that. I'd certainly notice that every time we went somewhere, you'd be, you'd point out people like, okay, this is, this is this person. This is this person. They're involved in this issue. This is what they care about. This person was just appointed to this particular role. (laughs) And therefore, you know, we're interested in that particular role. So you, I think that you had a very good beat on what was going on. You know, I think for someone coming on new for a physician who's practicing, I, I would like I would like to end on this message, at least uh-huh. on this topic. I'd like to end on this message that it's really important to, you know, to let, you know, let our representatives. So like let let you let Rebecca, who, by the way, is the, the person who can most recite all of the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh, I think her official role is our senior You'll know it better than I do, but she's one of like the senior government mm-hmm. relations yep. directors, something like that. Um, very impressive. But, you know, there's there's every we touched on this earlier. Everyone has their role, you know, and everyone has yeah. their area of expertise. This is your area of expertise, you know, and this is something that we rely heavily on you for. And then for physicians, they have the area of expertise of, you know, we have lived this. We have practiced this and just showing up, just show up 
be there, whatever you can attend, however you can get involved, it's already immensely helpful because many legislators don't understand what radiology even is. You know, and that's that's part of the disconnect that's coming in with MACRA and with CMS. You know, what do we even do? So in order to have that understanding, these legislators need to visit practices. We need to be involved in our local chapter, in our state chapter. So reaching out and saying, hey, I'm available, I'm here. And maybe you can't participate every time, but you can you can put that face on radiology. You can take that invisible radiologist out of the picture. Yeah, and into that, the picture. <laughs> yeah, that that's such a critical point. I mean, you know, members of Congress are, are people and they know their family docs and they know their dentists because they need those services, right? But the normal person in society doesn't know their radiologist and a member of Congress doesn't know their radiologist, right? And oftentimes I bet, I don't know if there's data on this, I bet most people when they go get imaging done think the rad tech is the radiologist. They probably have no idea what the difference is, right? And so when you have 6% of Congress that has a healthcare background and 94% of Congress does not, but yet 100% of Congress votes on healthcare, that's kind of a scary proposition. So how do we help educate those members of Congress, uh, especially the 94%? So, you know, getting them to visit the practice is super helpful. Uh, and again, it, it's, it, it makes it a little bit more personalized because it's, it's there in their backyard. Um, and it just kind of paints the picture for them of like how we are unique uh, compared to, uh, you know, the other specialists who obviously have their own important valued role in, in the delivery of healthcare. So I, I totally agree, uh, whether it's go to a Hill Day, whether it's host a member of Congress at your practice, uh, we're getting into a point now where we have some relationships where we're trying to get uh, our radiologists who have relationships with their members of Congress to host like a provider steering committee. So they'll meet maybe twice a year and they'll get all these other specialists together and they kind of sit around the table and really just try to hammer out like, hey, what do you guys care most about? Almost like what we've done this week with the fundraising events, but hearing from the local docs is completely different because they're giving like real stories, right? As opposed to us just saying kind of more in the generalities of issues. So, um, well, this has been a really good week with you. You've done an, an excellent job uh, representing the Georgia Radiological Society. I, have you ever met Dr. Hanks? I don't know if you, you had ever met him in the past. So he, we worked, we worked together for many years. He was extremely involved, extremely well-respected and well-known in, in the, the Georgia political world. Um, and you did a great job representing him in that fellowship. We are super glad to have you um, and hope that we will continue to utilize your skills and interest in this in this area for, for years to come. We always, as a tradition, end our podcast with a little fun lightning round. Okay. So this is kind of like knee-jerk responses to, to these questions. So favorite food. Okay. So last Thanksgiving, my husband and I experimented with a fun idea where we secretly gathered everyone's last meal preferences over the year and surprised them. And for me, it was buffalo wings with blue cheese every time. Yeah, you know, a lot of people will, will disagree with you and say ranch, but I'm blue cheese, I'm with you on that. <laughs> um, favorite... it's, a, it's a very vicious contention. It is, sure. <laughs> it really is. Favorite place to visit, travel to? Alabama. 
it okay. holds a special place for me because it's where I fell in love with my husband and we've right. explored the state pretty extensively. So like places like Dismal's Canyon, that's a nature conservatory that has a, it just, it looks like something out of Lord of the Rings. You know, it's like mossy boulders. <laughs> it's got these dismalites or glowworms that are related to the ones in New Zealand that people travel halfway across the world to see, but you don't need to, you know, it's just right there. Um, it's got places like, you know, Perry Lakes. That's another special place. It's got cypress trees with aerial roots growing out of still dark water that then creates a surreal kayaking experience, especially in the fall. They have a birding tower, perfect for picnics. I mean, so many other places uh, in the state. Like the, you sound like the Alabama Tourist Bureau there. Um, I know, they should, they should pay me. <laughs> <laughs> they, should, they should feature me on their ad. So what would you say is your favorite hobby or activity? I really like, okay, this, is, this one's weird. I, I term it bookstoring, so it's kind of a ritual. You get a coffee because most bookstores have a coffee shop. Uh And then you leaf through magazines like American Short Fiction at the bookstore. And I like to read things that are, like like, I mean, like fiction, right? So like little short excerpts that really get into what existence is like through the lens of other people. So seeing the world from someone else's eyes and then just experiencing how different or similar it is while I can at the same time nudge my husband and be like, hey, hey, check out this this really cool quote. Listen to this one. That's that's one of my favorite things to do. Very cool. Um, and then favorite quote. Now this can be a really popular, well-known quote. This could be one that maybe you made up yourself. Uh, <laughs> favorite or favorite quote. Okay, I got one here. Um, and this is one that I had been really liking. I've, this one's been on my radar since I was in med school. And uh, it's a quote by a hockey player, Wayne Gretzky. Okay. And it's that a good hockey player plays where the puck is mm-hmm. a great one plays where it's going mm. and like i said this goes way back to medical school like i remember the acr annual meeting had a keynote you know by dr ezekiel emmanuel i mean this is like ancient history oh, yeah. now but you remember you know it's like oh mm-hmm. he's an oncologist mind behind obamacare he published an article called the end of radiology question mark yeah <laughs> where he outlined a little bit you know, controversial these... speaker at the time but yeah just yep. just a little bit just a little bit <laughs> yep And he he outlined these three threats, right? Like machine learning, that was the true threat. Decrease for, you know, demand for imaging, that was the second. Bundled payments. And it's always fun to look back to have a lens on where we are now because viewed from another angle, these threats are where the puck is going, right? Yeah. And it's where we want to be. But, and, and many radiologists, I think, have the same perspective. You know, like take machine learning. So Dr. Emanuel asked, you know, does it threaten the existence of radiologists? And it was the wrong question. You know, instead, as a specialty, we asked, how can radiologists use it to improve patient care? Now, I mean, look around at RSNA, look at workless prioritization algorithms, study selection and protocoling, billing and coding, imagery construction, like smart staffing and scheduling. There's so much. And they let the radiologists focus on what matters. Complex patient care. Radiology is a leader in the tech space. So playing where that puck is going is really in our blood. Well, look, I, I want to be respectful of your time. You've had a long, busy week. You and though spend a few days uh, with a lot of events and a lot of meetings. And again, I can't thank you enough, not just for uh, agreeing to do the podcast, but also for uh, spending a vacation week with us, which wasn't much of a vacation probably for you. Um, but we, we appreciate uh, all your perspective that you gave to, to those on the Hill. So thank you so much.
Thanks, Ted. I would not have it any other way.